Blog Talk Radio. No mind your 
This is Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady.
come, my friend, to the white daughter and son. Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood pressure through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave.
liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. Oh, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. Oh, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. That's right. You have just heard the making of a slave. And for that same lifetime, he will act as a Neil Cornish, welcome to Africa on the Move. Part two, Africa is fighting capitalism, NATO, and Zionism. We said we live to struggle and struggle to live, and we will continue to struggle today as we talk about the day theme. And as always, we would like to have a critical discussion on this very topic as, as we bring in our political panelists and analysts for today's program. At this point in time, we're going to get started with our party. And like always, we're going to speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. Come and join us by dialing in 323-679-0841. You're listening to Brother Africa, and this program is Africa on the Move Blog Talk Radio, and it's under the banner of the African Awareness Association. So let's get started with this party by introducing you to our political panelists and analysts. First, we have Brother Haki, who is a organizer for the who is an organizer for the African Awareness Association. We will, bring in, we will bring him in now, and Brother Haki, welcome to Africa on the Move. 
Brother Africa, thanks for having me. <clears throat> my name is Haki Kamafi Mushoki. Uh, currently, I'm with African Awareness. And, of course, you know, Brother Africa, my thing is all about institution building. But certainly, Brother Africa, one of the things I think is important is certain philosophical leanings we have to come to some terms with in terms of understanding the predicament African people are confronted with in the society. Now, Rousseau, the philosopher, uh, uh, innovated uh, a term that was somewhat useful in terms of understanding the in fundamental inequality as it relates to capitalism. And that term, in, that term, eat the rich, is a term in which, you know, uh, we should come to some understanding in terms of precisely what it means. And so essentially when we talk about eat the rich, we're talking about the fact that given the inequality of capitalism, that the, it's inevitable that the masses of people will turn, upon, turn against the rich you know, as a, as a means in terms of resolving that situation or the very heinous situation that poor people are confronted with in the society. So having said that, Brother Africa, I wrote this, I think it serves a light in terms of this whole concept in terms of eat the rich. Now, Rousseau's narrative that led to the term eat the rich refers to real-life consequences of inequality in capitalist society. Inequalities around housing, access to food, or employment leading to desperation among the masses has compelled many of the poor to marginalize to reevaluate capitalism's impact on society. While this response to growing inequality is intuitive or hot fail, there are those who support their own hardship by embracing systematic inequalities. <clears throat> in this regard, can the rich actually be eaten in U.S. society? Now, in order to address this question, some exploration to the material and psychological dimensions of capitalism must be explored. <clears throat> No better starting point than Donald Trump, who epitomizes the contradictory nature of capitalism. Trump, an overzealous supporter of capitalism's gifts to the elites, recently ranted, according to Jason Stanley, a pledge, quote, to purge or kill off the vermin-like radical left. Trump vows to root out communist, Marxist, fascist, and radical left thugs who still lie, cheat on elections, end quote. Putting projection aside where he's referring to himself, the concept for losers, in his mind, is quite probable. Implicit in Trump's statement is a desire to carry out mass carnage as a way to preserve capitalism. Trump's psychic impulses in and of themselves is not a primary concern. <clears throat> the primary concern is the level in which elites embrace manslaughter as a solution to capitalism's inequality. Now, receptivity to using killing to address systematic inequalities is not just counterproductive because it allows the very system that creates inequality to persist, but it allows people to evade any question of humanity. Avoidance of what it means to be truly human from an anthropological perspective has long been obscured by powerful elites who view any enlightenment as a threat to elite social economic control. By controlling levers of power, elites are able to create social conditions that negatively affects every aspect of the masses' lives. As a consequence of this unrestrained power, the very meaning of life is inculcated in the minds and the lives of the masses with perilous consequences. There is an old adage which says, any person raised on love will do anything for you, but a person raised on survival will do anything against you. In a nutshell, elites are proficient at creating conditions in which struggle for survival is the norm for most people. Survival, <clears throat> survival just does not have, have relevance for practical, practical existence of the masses, but, but affects life in utero as well. The level of stress women are subjected to during pregnancy affects the development of the, of the fetus or the child's brain. 
For poor women particularly, the implication is clear. However, despite the abundance of scientific literature on the subject, increasing levels of stress continues to be heaped upon poor women using economic policy that, increase, that increases instability. Now, unfortunately, devastating impact does not end there. Superimposed on material deprivation is brain biology that regulates aggression. The amygdala that regulates aggression, according to science, can be damaged. Varying levels of stress on, on poor women and the impact on the amygdala does have long-term implications. When considering the cultural impact of capitalism that diminishes human life based on skin color, ethnicity, ethnicity religion, or gender, along with the tendency to inflict pain on one another, a damaged amygdala when stimulated by propaganda <coughs> that extols them versus us, the economy is likely to find willing recipients predisposed to embrace propaganda and carry out violence in the name of us. This biological fact undermines the notion of class analysis of assessing human behavior and that, it is, that, and that its potential to create behaviors is inclusive, irrespective of class. Notions of, of the poor uniting with the oppressed sounds plausible, but at the same time, Political analysis must address the question. In U.S. society, how, how is it most poor whites, the majority, are guided by culture, by culture, not economics? Now, on the other side of the equation, according to neuroscientists, evolution has balanced aggressive impulses with circuit breakers or insulin cortex that regulates empathy. According to Robert Sapolsky, the brain often confuses empathy with metaphors, not clearly differentiate, differentiating what it care for or support, supports. The role of culture is key to how the brain identifies empathy. For example, when one, uh, when, when, for those who are conditioned to accept inequality as natural, abhor those who fight against inequality. This moral disgust manifests support for individuals and or systems that reinforce inequality. Consequently, empathy or support takes the form of denigrating the other as coons, in particular the African people, rats as the Jewish population, cockroaches, as the Hutus refer to the Tutsis, or groups as refer to Asians, or human increment com, uh, as relate to so-called Latin community. From this kind of empathy or support for inequality, the authoritarian strain or support for authoritarian rule presents itself across all economic classes, from the wealthiest to the poorest in American society. Of course, in relative terms, the highest level of threat to humanity resides with the wealth. Cognitive process of reasoning, like all psychological processes, is shaped by culture, i.e. upbringing. <laughs> now, at least they are at least processing total control of the economic apparatus and capitalism's attempt at gaming the economy has resulted in an economic decline on a major scale. Consumer spending, which represents close to 67% of GDP, has declined 1.3% in 2023, with a projected decline of 1.1% in 2024. And as a consequence, household, household debt is rising because of increasing governmental debt facilitated by declining revenues and also impacts corporate balance sheets, which have been negatively affected. In an attempt to remain solvent, corporations or non-financial corporations have been selling stocks or bonds to outside investors at return rates higher than the market deems prudent. As a result of these value, overvalued stocks and bonds, corporate defaults, according to Moody's credit agency, has witnessed a 5% default rate on paying this bill, the highest default rate among corporations since 2021. This default rate has been precipitated in part by, de by declining corporate pro productivity, despite worker productivity gains of 4.75%. Even though fewer workers toil at reduced working hours, the level of output or production has increased, 
while wages continued to decline in part because 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 trade was in fact sacrificed to, to the detriment of the entire economy. Under the disingenuous proclamation uh, from, corpor- from, from, from corporations, any corporate changes would revitalize the economy, <clears throat> but the reality is this, is never, this never manifests. Instead, by shipping jobs abroad between 1970 and 1980s, turned out to be a foolish strategy while deindustrialization of strategies intended to increase the capitalist wealth instead resulted in the following. One, decline in corporate productivity, which ensures corporate investors will be highly compensated to the detriment of the U.S. economy. Two, increases in inflation and interest rate increases to accommodate the capitalist class as the economy declines. Now, make no mistake, Moody's downgrade of U.S. credit status to negative was no accident, as was this by 400, 450 uh, corporate bankruptcies, either restructuring or liquidating uh, their assets. The bigger question is, despite the obvious economic decline, why elites continue an economic course that will decline more rapidly, and why the masses are not visibly angered? If the response is economic, it begs the question, when in history has continuation of the inequality ever preserved an empire or served the interests of the poor? My, question, my, my position is the intangibles, values, culture, historical recollection, plays an oversized role in decisions made by empires and the citizens alike that do not embrace reason, but rather emotion as a guide. If humans are victims of emotions shaped by societal norms in capitalist society, any theory that does not take into account the fluidity of those of what defines self-interest will be hard-pressed to form a strategy that will plot a course forward and, and the necessary theory to plot a course free of emotionality. To an extent, we struggle to integrate natural, natural science, economics, and history the ability to eat the rich is problematic. In addition, decades of, of social conditioning, promoting false narratives of black empowerment to, to stroke uh, white resentment in, back in the 1980s, has reached its apex, and more intricate strategies are needed to combat internalized perceptions viewing capitalism favorably. Without some, well, some real analysis in terms of capitalism, uh, the bottom line is that the, the future for all humanity uh, doesn't look very, very bright. And with that, Brother Africa, I'll conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. We may not give you what you want, but we do our best to give you what you need. This is Africa on the Move, and we'll keep moving down the road of liberation by bringing in our brother Anthony, who is an organizer for the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC, and we're going to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Anthony. A revolutionary greetings, Brother Africa. Thanks for having me. And revolutionary greetings uh, uh, to the fellow panelists and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism because it is the ultimate solution to all problems facing Africans at home and throughout and in the diaspora. 
Thank you, Brother Anthony. And from Brother Anthony, we're going to make our transition to Brother Moses, who who is a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in Solidarity of the Cuban Revolution. Welcome, Brother Moses, to Africa on the Move. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism ever since I was introduced to Marxism, the father of scientific socialism, during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. I bear witness that women hold up half the sky uh, for the equal rights of men, E-R-A-S. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I bear, I hope that uh, we can uh, unite the many to defeat the few. I hope that we can bring consciousness to where there is lack of consciousness, where there is darkness, we can bring light. And I hope that we can uh, help liberate our people from the oppression of racism, sexism, and capitalism and uh, bring about a new day. This is our struggle. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses, we're going to bring in our sister, Eleanor who is also a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Thank you, Brother Africa. Good evening to our audience in the United States and abroad, and to our greetings to our fellow panel, my fellow panelists. And thank you so much for having me on the show this evening, Brother Africa. I look forward to another informative educational forum this evening. Thank you so much. We thank you, Sister Norris, and we know this we can't lose with the stuff you use. We're always happy to have you. Uh tell this audience this is Africa Move of Brother Africa. What we're gonna do right now, we're gonna ask everyone to um check out the upcoming music. We're gonna play some music which we say our music gear towards liberation. And when we turn back from our music of message segment, we're going to have a discussion on what's going on in your world and the community. We invite you to join in by calling in at 323-679-0841 and share with us what's going on in your world and community. So that's what we're going to do. But right now we're going to take this station break. And let's understand that music must be used as a tool for liberation as well. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move.
uh, intervention. Unfortunately, under capitalism in its advanced stage, government intervention is proscribed or prevented by laws that cater to special interests, in particular those who are wealthy. Secondly, as many politicians will attest to, poverty is a choice. Homelessness poverty could easily be addressed by government expenditures between 80 to $160 billion a year. When you compare this to military expenditures of $790 billion in real terms uh, per year, uh, this, is rel- this is a relatively small amount, seems relatively insignificant. Now, superposed upon this, this fact, the amount of money the capitalists contribute daily to corrupt the political process by bribing politicians or the availability of money to, def- to defeat social decline exists. So why the resistance to eradicating poverty? Is there some vicarious thrill obtained by having people to look down upon, or is it a psychological rush from, from inflicting pain on the poor? These are all philosophical questions that must be pondered. In a society with the means to address large-scale inequality but refuses to do so, what are the benefits of inaction? In fact, history has demonstrated that economic benefits to the economy of the United States from social spending has always been, uh, has been very productive. For example, the New Deal, the Great Society, child tax credits, starting in 2001 over to 2023, was all stimulating the economy while reducing poverty. The fact these programs had the U.S. economy moving in the right, right direction begs the question, why were these programs eliminated? And to the audience, Brother Africa, I ask that fundamental question. If these programs stimulate the economy and reduces, moves the country in the right direction, why would such programs be eliminated? Who benefits from doing such a thing? So clearly the masses of people have to come, come to grips with some certain ironies that exist in society in terms of what is professed in terms of words and what is actually done indeed. So having said that, Brother Africa, I'll simply conclude with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Haki, they want to terrorize the people. That's what they want to do. They want to terrorize the people. What can you say? Let's move on and go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world, in the community? Talk to us, Brother Anthony. Oh, okay. Uh, the the uh, the struggle of the Palestinians against the Zionists is in, is intensifying the class struggle in uh, in the African community. As uh, Brother Bob Brown points out in his open letter uh, to the uh, Congressional Black Caucus, which uh, which hopefully will be uh, will be eventually published on uh, the uh, AAPRPGC's website eventually. But it points out how uh, how the how members of the CBC and the Congressional Black Caucus uh, have sided with Zionist forces and uh, and uh, their struggle against uh, uh, you know the Palestinians, and uh, this is. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, shows the intensification of the class struggle inside the African community, because it uh, it seems as if uh, the masses of uh, of uh, struggling uh, Africans are, uh, are 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 
are siding with the uh, with, with the Palestinians, and justly so, against those forces that are, side, uh, uh, are siding with Zionism, which are primarily uh, 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 representatives of the Democratic uh, Republican uh, duopoly. And uh, this is, uh, and this struggle is intensifying uh, inside inside the U.S. and and th- uh, throughout the the other parts of the diaspora. And also, uh, let's see, the indigenous people in the U.S. Uh, show solidarity with the Palestinian struggle against Zionism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And from Brother Anthony, you can more bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Brother Moses, well, well, we continue the, that irresistible historical trend uh, of countries wanting independence, nations wanting liberation, and people wanting revolution. We continue that trend. Uh, we find that uh, Burkina Faso and other countries in the Sahel are rising up against imperialism, and, and uh, particularly France and the U.S. of A. And this is consciousness is uh, spreading throughout the world. And the Palestinian people are on the move, and this is a good thing. And we find that uh, that you know the United Front against fascism. Uh, we we have to maintain our vote in terms of struggling for a new democratic society uh, in words and in deeds, and uh, we have to maintain all fronts the theoretical economical and political struggle we uh we find that uh the world world's in turmoil but there is a there is consciousness behind that turmoil and we must organize organize and organize thank you thank you brother moses and from Brother Moses, we will now go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world and the community? Thank you, uh, Brother Africa. Well, as the fellow panelists have talked about, it's the continued struggle that we see happening worldwide um, with the uh, Zionist occupation in Palestine and uh, we see Amazon playing a big role in that Amazon and 30 countries around the world uh, workers are on strike both drivers and factory workers as well as Amazon has done a some type of computing program with the Israeli government and the uh, uh, Israeli military and uh, South Africans are uh, protesting this week in solidarity with the Palestinians in that Amazon built a, a, apparently a, 
factory on their ancient homeland. So in solidarity with the Palestinians, they built, they, uh, the in, the native people of South Africa uh, the, are planting olive trees and Palestinian flags. Also, this week, um, there's going to be a fundraiser this upcoming week on November 29th supporting uh, Brother Sekou Odinga, who was uh, very instrumental in helping uh, Sister uh, Asada Shakur in making her move back to her move to Cuba. And that's going to be uh, November 29th, Wednesday, this upcoming week. And uh, um, there they can find, you can find more information on this event uh, by contacting the International U.S.-Cuba Normalization uh, Conference Coalition. And uh, really interesting, the revolutionary actions happening across the Sahel. And we see that even in Bangladesh, factory workers, uh, garment workers are on strike because of Amazon's labor practices. And Amazon is now playing countries against countries. But for people to continue to purchase from Amazon with the support of Palestinian genocide is a reason for everyone to not order anything from Amazon. Amazon is changing the capitalist way of distributing their products and goods globally. And its main goal is to stop unionization and people from organizing. Um, that's about it. Uh, we see a continued struggle for housing, food, shelter, and transportation and education being a big issue while the indigenous brothers and sisters in Alaska are wondering what's happening with all the alleged murders and suicides of indigenous women in Alaska that seem to be going, uh, these murders are going unsolved, some of them being called suicides, and there seems to be no justice. So I I stand in solidarity with us. Indigenous brothers and sisters in Alaska, as well as in the uh, uh, heart of the beast, the continental United States. And we do not want to ignore the 14,000 who have died in one month in the uh, Zionist Holocaust uh, in Palestine. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. What we're going to do right now, 
Before we take this break, panelists, I'd like to have each one of y'all just respond to this narrative. <clears throat> when we talk about the question of the influence of propaganda, images, and what they do to people, and the creation of a mindset, <clears throat> excuse me, I was just wondering, I was just looking at TV the other day, and I was looking at the TV lineup, and basically five or 80% of all the shows on TV had something to do with the police, something to do with the military. It becomes a tool to, to highlight, push the ideal of patriotizing, upholding, making um, this particular division that we call law and order the thing the thing to be. Now we see living inside of these borders, particular institutions, they're very hostile towards African people and people are non non European. But they are still trying to set up the cans of good that these institutions are good for us. What do y'all make of this over-dramatization of pushing um, this this whole industrial police complex uh, machine within the, the borders? Brother Haki? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, Brother Africa, you know, there, there are two things, two elements you need in terms of to make sure you have successful uh, propaganda. One is a, a message that's, that's, that's firmly crafted uh, a particular way. And secondly, consistency of crafting that message. If you can do those two things simultaneously over a long period of time, you can convince people that, in fact, what they're seeing is, in fact, a symbolic of re- reality. And this is precisely what it is. It's what you talk about these, these, these programs on television where 80% of the programs always allude to it. It's not law enforcement. It's the military and propping them up as somehow saviors you know, for society. That is precisely the message that they want to inculcate in the minds of people. And to the extent that people look, look at this stuff and don't do further research in terms of understanding the complexities behind these institutions, then they never come to the realization that these institutions are not what people profess them to be. And this is the, the role of, this is the effectiveness of propaganda. This is how propaganda works so well. Uh, one of the things I alluded to earlier when I talked about the fact that uh, one of the things that when, one of the drawbacks, one of the ways in which they facilitate racism in the society is that they're doing a very good job since the 1980s of being propping this, this notion that, in fact, that, that African people are, in fact, benefiting from various programs to the detriment of white people. And that is self-formented uh, white resentment or pushback against, you know, you know, a more progressive kind of society. But they were able to convince people that by continually giving them information which, which suggests that African people are, in fact, benefiting African people who are, are doing well. African people are benefiting at the expense of white people. And so by doing that, uh, they're, very, so they're able to sort of message, you know, that African people's uh, aspirations is fundamentally a threat to the interests of white people. And so this is so fundamentally we got to understand when we talk about the role of propaganda in society, you know, this is why reading is so important. Uh, one of the real ironies is that one of the things, if you only see with your eyes, you, you're easily deceived. It's very clear. I mean, they deceive us all the time because we see with our eyes. We don't see with our, with our intellect. We see with our eyes. Until we get to the point where we begin to see with our intellect, they're going to continue to deceive us and to trick us and to get us to believe what they want us to believe. 
So we think that, that the police are a, a, a attribute to the community, not understanding that police are not here to serve the community. Police are here to serve the interests of the wealthy, pure and simple, the, the interests of property, pure and simple. That is historically the role of, of police when, when it originated during, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the fields uh, of the slave plantations in the 17th century. It is also relevant today in the 21st century in terms of the role of police in terms of their function to society. So propaganda is very, very effective, and to the extent that people don't read and educate themselves, uh, they succumb to this propaganda, which is, makes it much more difficult in terms of moving forward because to the extent that people internalize this propaganda, uh, they become complacent with the way the system exists, not understanding that what they think the way the system exists and how the system actually exists are two different things, and I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, this issue of be all that you can be, used by working for the law enforcement or in the military, support the flag, even though the flag has gone all around the world and bombing Africa up and people up. And, but yet we look on TV, they got the Africans singing, the stars singing, banner in every program now, and all the programs that either relates to the military or law enforcement. What is this propaganda all about from your perspective, Brother Anthony? Uh, the, uh, uh, the purpose of this propaganda, in addition to, uh, to the reasons Brother Haki stated, is also to, uh, also to uh, employ to recruit people to serve in the police and military against their own interests and people don't realize uh don't don't realize that it's against their own interests because of the effectiveness of this uh uh, 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 uh of the propaganda machine uh that uh that capitalism has as a matter of fact the thing about television and movies for that matter is you don't have to be literate for the propaganda to work on you. Uh, you know, unlike uh, books, uh, newspapers, magazines, you don't even have to be literate for it to uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to to uh, for uh, for its effectiveness, and uh, it takes uh, it, it takes advantage of, uh, you know, people's uh, low level of, uh, of literacy, and it, and it even uh, works on, uh, you know, young children among us. And, uh, and that's the danger of it, is that it, it, is that it's so pervasive. And uh, it really, and it really takes a lot of self self education uh, to see through it. But it is, uh, but it is hard because uh, uh, let's see, uh, the conditions of labor in this society make it so that people have a have a hard time finding the time to educate themselves sufficiently. Uh, to see through this propaganda, and that's uh, and so it's uh, it's both uh, uh, effective and very dangerous at, at the same time. 
because it confuses people as to uh, 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 who their enemy is, and and it has people working for their enemy instead of struggling against their enemy. Thank you, Brother Anthony, Brother Moses. They said, let the criminal justice system work for you. Ever since, ever since our arrival, seems like the only thing the criminal justice system has, has done is increase our incarceration rate. Your response, Brother Moses? Well, I think Michelle Alexander had it right, the new Jim Crow. Um, certainly, you know, incarceration is the one way that we are being discriminated against, uh, and disproportionate laws that criminalize our culture and criminalize our pursuit of happiness, basically. We are denied wealth. We're denied the the basic necessities of life, you know, and so, you know, we see it, we see, we see it here in the U.S. of A., but when we go to, when we see Gaza, we see it more plainly, and and we should all identify with the people in Gaza and, and, and have a sense of urgency to get this beast off our back, and, um, Without that sense of urgency, we're just bought off, bought off working class members, bought off by the crumbs of the bourgeoisie's table, and so we we have to have some kind of sense of urgency and identify with the oppressed and the, the and struggle for justice. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, and we're going to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, they say you live in a home with a brain, and you're in a free country. If that's the case, it seems to me that people will act in a way where it will show that they are free. But I don't see the people here in this country acting like they're free, Sister Eleanor. For example, any human being with common sense can see what's going on in, this, in, in the um, regime of Israel, Palestine, that how they are genociding Palestinians is not right. But yet, you have a nine segment of the African community being silent. What is that all about from your perspective, Sister Eleanor? Why are we being silent when it comes to this particular issue? Why, is, why are the people being silent? The people yes. are not silent. They're in the streets. And they were in the streets much of last week. talking about the African community, Eleanor, the African community. The African community is not silent, Brother Africa. The African community is isolated. The media isolates the African community. As you said, and Brother Haki and the other analysts talked about the media. The media plays a big role. All the shows, the cop shows or military shows, and the only good Africans are the ones that are either in the military or part of the police. And uh, this is um, a form of brainwashing that people have firmly embraced. 
But the reality is we don't get the real information. We don't realize that there are 150 actions in more than 30 countries that are highlighting the genocidal relationship that Amazon has with the Israeli government and military and how it affects workers in countries around the world, including the UK, Italy, the United States, Spain, Germany. It affects the warehouse workers, the the drivers, the community, and the environment. Nor are people aware of the fact that uh, in 2040, Amazon will not be meeting its fuel emission goals. It's already <clears throat> using 75 as much fuel as some of the nations that it, it, it does business in fossil fuel. So um, the reality is people are misinformed and miseducated. And the biggest fight right now in this country seems to be the fight to not teach true American history and the role that Africans played in the development of the United States as well as the role of indigenous in the development of this country and the huge and the Holocaust that both the transatlantic trade, African trade, slave trade uh, was and caused and uh, the Holocaust of indigenous nations. So we have to re-examine history and look at global history, and we do not. And people don't understand things like when they look at the Great Depression of the uh, early 20th century, they think that the world was involved in it. Well, at that time, Mexico was going through a very prosperous period and had had a revolution, and the capitalists just went to Mexico while the impoverished workers, Africans, whites, indigenous people, whomever, struggled here in the continental United States. People are misinformed because of the media. And now with this uh, uh, algorithm tracking what you look at and what you track, it has taken away all objectivity and simply is a tool, a programming tool. And people are being programmed. And people are also, us Africans, who must not only unite in terms of organizations, but unite as individuals to show each other respect and love in our day-to-day activities. Thank you, Brother Africa. 
Thank you, Sister Eleanor. You're listening to Africa on the Move. We're going to take a Robertson culture break, and when we come back, we're going to close out today's program with part two, Africa is fighting capitalism, NATO, and Zionism. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. A negative attitude towards Africa. In San Francisco, on African Liberation Day, Brother Walter Rodney, an African historian, noted both the importance of African Liberation Day in terms of our African identity and some of the root causes for our problem of identification. I have met brothers and sisters who say that their mother tongue, quote-unquote, is French, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, as well as English, which we speak. And because of this, we have a problem of identification. We do not know whom we are. And that is why this gathering is of great symbolic importance, because it is an act of identification. We are saying that we identify with the African people of the African continent. We are saying that we are an African people. And when we make this identification, have no illusions about the fact that this is a very revolutionary initiative. It is a rejection of every other form of identification which the white society has asked us to accept. Let me draw your attention to something which white universities and white libraries practice. And this is a university community. Numerous universities lie around this land. Go into their libraries and check the Library of Congress cards on the Europe or European you will find all entries listed concerning the continent of Europe. You will also find entries listed about Europeans in East Africa, Europeans in North Africa, Europeans in Asia and Australia. Look under the Chinese, you will find entries listed not only for mainland China, but for Malaysia and for the Chinese in, in, the, in North America. But look on the Africa and the Africans the only entries on the Africans relate to the continent itself. There are no entries on the Africans overseas. There is no such category. Africans who have been raped from the continent mysteriously disappear and become Negroes. <laughs> If that is for my people, I don't know who can find. 
There's far too many of you dying You know we've got to find find out what's going on, because the more we know, the better we, we will be prepared to see our enemies. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. We're going to make our transition to the closing of part two, Africa is fighting capitalism, NATO, and Zionism. We come to our brother Anthony, actually lead us off, 
as we discuss this uh, particular documentary, in which you can view on YouTube, and we do encourage our listeners to recommend to recommend you some sources to check out some good information. This is a, a pretty interesting video titled "NATO Expands into Africa and Ukraine." Um, we'd like to thank the producers who produce it. You said work is very well done, and um, we can learn from it. At this point in time, Brother Anthony, we can come to you. I will just raise this one, this, this issue with you in terms of if you could articulate on the importance of, we, knew, we know that NATO was created in 1949, I believe after World War, World War II, and it was created by the U.S. And one of the important statements that were made in that documentary was that NATO does not and cannot separate itself from the U.S. Everything that it does, it does in conjunction to the U.S. What kind of implication does that um, has when you talk about U.S. foreign policy and the sole question of NATO? Because the narrative that you the um, narrative of NATO is more civil-based in Europe and maybe more European policy, when in reality, the U.S. has been very sophisticated how they have taking European countries and government to come under their direction. So the significance that NATO does nothing without um, the influence and approval of the U.S. Your response to that particular reality, Brother Anthony? Yes. Uh, well, uh, Ashley, um, the U.S., uh, came out of uh, uh, World War II relatively unscathed compared to, uh, to the other capitalist countries. So NATO was created as a mechanism for the U.S. Uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, dom- uh, to dominate uh, Western Europe, primarily, and also, and also, in uh, in response to the uh, spreading tide of socialism in Europe, and um, so uh, NATO was uh, was created uh, uh, under. Uh, you know, as a, as, as a mechanism for uh, uh, for uh, U.S. Uh, to uh, to 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 dominate uh, interests in Europe, so it served their interests. So um, you know, uh, that's how uh, that's why uh, NATO. Uh, and also some uh, some other uh, treaty organizations such as the Southeast Asia Treaty Organization and numerous others have the uh, uh, have the U- U.S. military backing behind it. So uh, this becomes a, a, a mechanism. Uh, for U.S. to uh, uh, to uh, extend its control 
uh, over uh, over the capitalist countries, and uh, it was rather the the uh, it was able to do that because of all, uh, of the capitalist countries that existed. It was relatively unscathed by World War Two, as uh, the bulk of the war was fought in Africa and Europe and Asia. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Haki, as we stated that this documentary is titled NATO Expands into Africa and Ukraine. And one of the things I would like for you to speak to, Brother Haki, is I guess this issue of the importance of being able to think analytically, analytically and understand how this these borders, these boundaries, geopolitical, keep moving, intellectually speaking, but may not physically speaking. That's to say that NATO is now functioning with the idea of where they want to take basically most of all the northern Africa and make make it or create it, create it, create it as extension to Europe. They have extended their boundaries because of the geopolitics that takes place in all those various countries, and people may not see that. Your response in terms of that sophistication, Brother Haki. Well, yeah, well, I think one, one of the things we have to understand, when we talk about U.S. Uh, foreign policy, particularly when it comes to trade and trade agreements, Keep in mind, uh, when you talk about in terms of disproportionate amount of funds uh, coming from the U.S. in terms of credits goes to North Africa. It doesn't go to North Africa because they care about North Africa. What they're fundamentally doing is they're separating North Africa from Sub-Saharan Africa. And so when, you, so when you talk about in terms of bringing them into the European satellite, that's precisely what they're trying to do. And the fact that one of the things when you talk about NATO, not only can they create this 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 this, this correlation, this connection between North Africa and, and Europe, uh, but they also have the military in terms of sort of reinforcing this notion that in fact that North Africa is somehow now part of Europe. Uh, you know, anything anything barring you know, uh, uh, I mean, real struggle uh, among you know North Africans in terms of the future plan is going to be affected. Because one of the things that, you know, when we talk about in terms of the, 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 the unleashing, you know, of jihadists, you know, throughout Africa, keep in mind, a lot of this is planned by, by Western states, in particular the United States government. In fact, a lot of times these so-called jihadist groups that the U.S. or the West props up as jihadist groups, are uh, in fact, are not jihadist groups at all, but in fact, you know, criminal elements you know, who are doing what they got, doing things in terms of bringing in vast sums of money. But unless it serves the objectives of, of the United States government in terms of making it possible for, to provide, uh, making it possible to provide some cover, you know, for U.S. strategy. So in other words, while these people are running around allegedly committing these crimes against people, you know, in the sub-Saharan region of Africa, particularly countries like Mali and Nigeria, uh, it gives U.S. cover, so U.S. can go in and do the kind of things in terms of undermining governments. It can do things like in terms of uh, uh, liquidating or killing off uh, progressive leadership in those countries or buying off progressive leadership in those countries. So it provides cover uh, for U.S. Uh, strategies. 
And so this is what we got to understand. So when we talk about when we talk about the power of NATO to do these kind of things, keep in mind all of this is all of this is is, is not done in a vacuum. Uh, NATO is the military wing in terms of carrying out, you know, uh, these these global geo, these geopolitical you know operations. But keep in mind, uh, the military aspect of NATO is just one aspect. Then you have the finance. We talk about the financial aspect, and we talk about the social aspect in terms of you know you know in terms of you know rewarding those who are friends of quote unquote of the West. Then we understand that those individuals who are, who are rewarded as being friends of the West uh, do a, a, a tremendous amount of damage. Uh, to the overall function of those states because their interest doesn't lie with their people or their countries. The interest lies with themselves in terms of making more and more funds. Uh, but clearly, you're absolutely correct. When we talk about it in terms of the geopolitical element in terms of NATO's ability in terms of, you know, arbitrarily, you know, creating these boundaries uh, is very, very real. And the military, of course, gives it um, the, 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 the authority in terms of actually carrying out such a, such a strategy. But again, this is all part of a much broader strategy, which incorporates not only the military, but the economics as well. Thank you, Brother Haki. And to this audience, one of the things I just want to like to remind folks on that point, that Brother Haki just articulated, is that a lot of times when we talk talk about and create, I mean, critique capitalism and, and imperialism, everybody look at the ownership aspect, but there are many uh, situations where you don't necessarily have to own something to control it. Sometimes more effective is to control those things that you may not necessarily own. And you got to be real, real conscious of this question of this balance between ownership and those who control and those who can control. Everybody own, may own something, but don't necessarily mean you really control it. They have all kinds of ways of how they can um, manipulate even those things they don't own. So um, we need to be careful in terms of when we do our analysis and looking at our situation. Brother Moses, we're coming to you. Talk to us, Brother Moses. You said NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, the whole so-called creation is supposed to be to protect the interests or protect Europe. It's a military alliance. Well, my question to you, Brother Moses, what NATO do? What NATO doing in Libya? How they was able to get themselves involved in Libya and other countries in the North, in, in the Middle East? Is that so-called military alliance is based upon on uh, protecting um, you? Not only that, they also was even like in the Fort Little Island, way over here. When you talk about countries fighting the U.S. or fighting any European countries, they never fight them in isolation. They fight them in conjunction. With, with, with the game, the NATO game. What's your response, Brother Moses, the impact and influence of NATO coming to Libya? Brother Moses, your response? Been, NATO has been nothing but a problem from its inception. NATO was produced in response to the Soviet Union to fight off communism, to fight off socialism, and to perpetuate U.S. imperialism and capitalism. This is its purpose, and this is what's going on. So NATO, you know, has expanded its mission. Uh, uh, it's not just the Cold War anymore. They they've gone after national liberation movements, Libya, and wherever. Uh, they have no respect of 
the people's right to self-determination. They're just carrying out the U.S. Western interests. And this capitalism, 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 expansion, expansion, expansion. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And Sister Eleanor, your response to the narrative that we can see the viability and, of course, the pan Africanism when we look at the behavior of NATO. If a country take on any of these European countries, it means they will be fighting many countries. So would it be more applicable for African countries to do the same, unite as one, so they'd be more powerful and can truly damn defend themselves and fight these institutions much more effectively and defeat them, such as NATO. Your response, Sister Eleanor. Yes, absolutely, because after all, as uh, you and the fellow analysts said, the Atlantic Trade Agreement, uh, the uh, the uh, North Atlantic uh, Treaty Organization was... Uh, uh, started at, in 1949 after World War II to uh, prevent the expansion of communism and um, uh, socialism, but it was further driven by the capitalist economy. What was once NATO started out with 12 countries, and those 12 countries were the colonizers, included the colonizers and the oppressors of Africa. You know, of course, the United States, France, Portugal, uh, uh, the United Kingdom, uh, Spain. And as early as the 1950s, uh, you saw in Nairobi, and uh, 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 NATO hosting conferences in Nairobi and other communities uh, inviting South Africa and Rhodesia to participate. And that had to do with uh, protecting the colonial interests of of the 12. In addition, originally, the original NATO members were that 12, but now those NATO um, members include more than 30 countries, whom uh, include Eastern Europe, European countries, which uh, formerly Soviet, uh, were formerly Soviet republics, and the nations of the Warsaw Pact Alliance. So uh, today, NATO has become a huge, huge uh, wheel of the military-industrial complex controlled by the United States, uh, the the U.S. empire for the purpose of full-spectrum dominance driven by ferocious the ferocious appetite or the the greed of of uh corporate capitalism and the military complex so uh it, it, it's it's role in Africa we have to remember began way back 
1950, like I said, with the inviting of the whites of South Africa and Rhodesia and the government of the United States time and time again, uh, you know, was pointing to this, uh, uh, the, the threat of African independence uh, uh, impact on capitalist, on the capitalist economy, or economically and militarily. And therefore, in the effort of forcing Africa uh, to contribute to its own exploitation, that's what you saw happening. Uh, Kwame uh, uh, Nagruma had uh, had already warned in his 1967 uh, challenge of the Congo that there was at least uh, 17 air bases, uh, nine foreign naval bases, three rocket sites, and an atomic testing range operating operated by North Af- by 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 NATO in in North Africa, in addition to military missions in about a dozen other African countries and and this I mean can you imagine this is 1967 not to mention the uh, exploration of raw materials for the production of nuclear weapons occurring in the in the mines of the Congo Angola uh, South Africa and Rhodesia and Gruma called for the the uh, urgent need to, uh, to counter the challenge of NATO and, and uh, you know, with a strategy he outlined in his handbook of um, revolutionary warfare, which included the call for uh, a military high command and an all-African people's revolutionary army that he called the AATRA. The example, um, um, and I mean, uh, the example of Portugal as one of the original members of NATO is worth exploring too, and the great uh, freedom fighters of Africa, and and they're they're already addressing the issues of Portugal's rotten uh, imperialism and um, and the most undeveloped uh, uh, country in Western Europe that was Portugal at the time never be able to branch three colonies, you know, three, to to branch out and to make uh, war in the colonies that, uh, without the help of NATO. And that's how Portugal was able to, um, you know, have the wars that it staged in Africa with the help of NATO. Uh, back in, in the 60s 
So uh, NATO has been deeply involved in Africa. Uh, Africa uh, has been a semi-colony uh, of Britain since 1975, and Britain defended uh, Portugal's uh, interest during the uh, partitioning of Africa. Furthermore, NATO, a creation of the U.S., and, and its colonies as part of the larger objective of domination of Africa and the world. So, you know, world domination, whether it's Guinea-Bissau, Cape Verde, or Angola, uh, Mozambique, much like the, the U.S. did uh, in Vietnam, uh, both cases, uh, colonizing powers used the the the, the most modern weapons, including napalm, cluster bombing campaigns, and guerrilla armies, as you were saying. But um, I'll conclude with that. Um, NATO has been very active in Africa, and we've seen it. Uh, with the uh, aforementioned countries and a poor nation like Portugal, uh, with the use of NATO being able to cause guerrilla wars in these um, African countries and undermine the people of Africa and their economies and Mother Earth. All right, Brother Brother Africa, thank you. Okay, panelists, what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to each one of y'all to be disciplined and keep your remarks to two minutes or less. I would like to give each one of y'all just an opportunity to maybe share some other thoughts or maybe what you have gotten from this documentary titled NATO Expansion to Africa and Ukraine. Any other, any additional thoughts, Brother Anthony, you'd like to add that you may have? Not given it that you may have not had a chance to do so. We can do that now. Uh, yes, uh, I would like to uh, add the issue of uh, of uh, uh, the U.S. and NATO bullying African nations uh, to uh, to pick uh, to pick sides. And uh, and 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 the Ukraine uh, Russia war, and uh, let's see, and uh, you know, uh, bullying, uh, trying to force African countries to uh, to adapt, uh, either side with uh, the uh, U.S. imperialism. Or 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 they would they would be be considered uh, an enemy of the U.S. Now, if Africa was what uh, was unified under uh, under one uh, 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 under one government, uh, that kind of bullying would not be possible. And it's because Africa is fragmented into 54 uh, separate states that it, that 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 uh, uh, some of which are not even politically viable for the most part. Uh, 
are, uh, you know, it is subject to this sort of bullying and will be until Africa is unified. That's a point well taken, Anthony. Thank you. Brother Haki, any other thoughts you have to share on this particular um, documentary? Brother Haki, your thoughts? Yeah, real, real. Yeah, yeah, real, real briefly, I just want to piggyback on what uh, Brother Anthony said, and that is that, you know, uh, in particular, you know, Gregory Meeks, a congressperson from uh, New York, East, uh, East Harlem, as a matter of fact, uh, introduction of HR, Bill HR 7311 is very interesting. He seeks to establish the framework in terms of governing international relationships. And the mere fact that they're telling Africa uh, that, you know, that they don't have a right in terms of deciding who they can interact with and who they can't interact with speaks volumes in terms of the kind of arrogance that exists in terms of U.S. foreign policy. And more so, one of the things, when you think about the fact that this is an African person, uh, uh, you know, who's, who's the author of this bill, when you think about this black man sitting here telling African states that, listen, uh, irrespective of your needs, irrespective of your desires, uh, you must simply play ball because of the interests of the United States. I mean, for a black man to articulate such nonsense, uh, it seems to me it would be should be difficult for him to sleep at nighttime, knowing that you know his attempt to undermine the interests of Africa uh, has a has, has a has a correlating impact on the the devastation impact of African peoples right here in the United States. So what he does to Africa, he does to to African people in the United States. And so clearly, you know, when we think about this kind of arrogance, I mean, clearly, uh, you know, that piece that you play you know, in the opening. Uh, clearly, you know this guy is a uh, is a, uh, a, a a he's a result of a strategy which says that in fact uh, you know that uh, to think like your adversary is in fact a good thing. In fact, you now understand that it's not a good thing. And but finally, one other thing, brother, after real quickly, uh, when we talk about in terms of the, U- the U.S. Uh, in terms of NATO in particular, in terms of expanding borders, uh, keep in mind that when we talk about the drug trade, whenever the U.S. is involved. In military action, drug trade always proliferates. Uh, now we have a situation where drugs are n- moving from West Africa to North Africa into Europe, into the United States. And keep in mind, uh, you know, in order for to facilitate this drug trade, uh, this this has to be guided by some very intricate, very, some very uh, complex uh, uh, organizations in terms of making that possible. Otherwise, in terms of not being caught, you know, bringing tons and tons of heroin and cocaine into the country would be an impossibility. So governments play a big part, particularly intelligence agents play a big part in terms of the, the facilitation of drugs, you know, throughout the United States. And again, we've seen the situation as a result of NATO actions in Africa, the proliferation of drugs into the United States. So we should think long and hard about our support for U.S. Uh, military interventions in Africa and throughout the world. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Moses, any additional thoughts you would like to share as it relates to this documentary? Well, I think, you know, we pretty much covered pretty much the ground. Uh, you know, NATO is an imperialist force. The uh, U.S. is an imperialist power, superpower, dominating the world, policing the world, trying to get its interests wherever it can, colluding and contending for spheres of influence with whatever powers there may be. And uh, this is the situation we're faced with. Uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses and Sister Eleanor. 
Hello? Does that know if you have any additional thoughts you'd like to share concerning the documentary? Um, well, I'd like um, to add to uh, NATO um, and the documentary and in Guma in particular that um, in Angola, when the Portuguese, as I said, such a poor nation, uh, were going to lose to the uh, uh, needed help, they uh, used NATO armament. Uh, in, in Angola, but they still lost the war. And as Nguma said, imperialism uh, uses divide and conquer, whether it's religion, whether it's um, uh, cultural, ideological, economics, anything to divide the people. But the reality is, is the importance of a national African uh, uh, um, army or military, as uh, Nguma talked about, is essential uh, for African people who want a real break from colonialism. And, and folks have wanted a real break from colonialism since uh, Nguma's uh, explained in his neo-colonialism, the last stage of uh, imperialism, and and they still want it. A wide array of methods are employed, as he said, uh, by neo-colonialists, uh, ranging from the the things that I was trying to say. You know the. Uh, um, uh, I, you know, your ideological base, your religion, there's all sorts of things. And NATO works hand in hand with other uh, mechanisms of imperialism, like the CIA, which uh, uh, was instrumental in the coup against Nguma, uh, Nguma's government, and the murder of. Patrice Lumumba, um, you know this is uh, this is uh, the settler uh, uh, settler colony of uh, Azania, South Africa would be uh, uh, another example of a NATO outpost. From from um, the beginning, it was obviously on the side of the Westerners slash NATO powers since it was essentially a colony of Britain and and therefore was a, uh, you know, uh, um, what would we call it, a NATO, um, sub, uh, a NATO, um, was a part of NATO. Because in 1955, South Africa and Britain uh, formulated the, uh, I think it was the Simpsontown Agreement, uh, which uh, uh, contained uh, um, provisions for the uh, naval surveillance and 
and defense of the African continent from the Cape to Cairo, fight of a, a purported armed embargo, NATO countries and and Israel also provided South Africa with uh, the necessary technology to develop nuclear weapons. So, you know, this has been going on a long time, and Eurocom and uh, um, uh, uh, five over Eurocom, for example, and the role it's playing in Libya and Algeria uh, to hold back the environmental immigrants from the Sahel. The U.S. and European uh, Command, UACON, is a recent part of NATO. Originally also took uh, responsibility for 42 African states in the 2004 NATO and ended a five-year period of uh, expansion uh, in 2007. Now, Eurocom uh, commanders, uh, posed, uh, commanders proposed the creation of uh, AFRICON. Uh, a guy named Danzel Jones Jr. explained how he came uh, to make the uh, proposal for AFRICON from his uh, uh, position as a commander of Eurocom as well as a commander of operations forces of NATO. Okay, that, that, that's, that's it, and it's a great documentary that uh, thank you so much for for bringing it to my attention. Thank you, Brother Africa, for this time to speak, and I concur with the fellow panelists uh, uh, about the incredible impact that NATO or presence NATO already has in Africa and has had as far back as Angola and in establishing apartheid in South Africa with the support of Israel. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Hi, panelists, let's make a, uh, let's, um, Make our move to our second documentary, which again praise, give praise to the artists, uh, the people who created and developed um, this particular work, which can be viewed on YouTube. It is titled U.S. Marine Court Officer Scott Richter Reveals the Truth uh, About Israel War. U.S. Marine Corps Officer Scott Richard revealed the truth of Israel war. Check that out, and uh, there's so much you can learn from it. Um, Brother Anthony, his presentation but um, Officer Scott Ritter was real interesting in terms of he raised the issue of one of the things that October the 7th engagement of Hamas with the Zionist race of state of Israel created was the false narrative that the Israeli military is not invincible. Your response to that 
to that narrative, Brother Anthony. Uh, yes. Uh, well, one of uh, Kwame Ture's many uh, lessons was that that where where, where there's uh, where there's oppression, there will be resistance. And uh, and uh, and I think uh, uh, Hamas showed that. And that uh, uh, let's see, and that this and uh, this didn't, as Ritter correctly points out, didn't just this didn't just start October seventh, uh, uh, twenty twenty three. It has a long history, and it uh, and it and, and, and it starts when uh, when the Zionists first occupied Palestine. And uh, and uh, you know the struggle, and uh, I thought one of the interesting points he made was the term terrorist is relative. It uh, is a relative term. As a matter of fact, he points out that uh, that uh, you know that uh, let's see some of the. Uh, forces that were fighting against the British during the U.S. War of Independence were, uh, were, were, were called terrorists. So, uh, uh, you, uh, you, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's an old tactic, uh, to, uh, uh, to, uh, you, uh, to make, uh, one despise a certain people. And, um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, I thought I thought he 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 did a a, a good job of connecting uh, uh, the, uh, of uh, connecting the struggle against Zionism uh, to the current Palestinian struggle for uh, uh, for uh, independence. And uh, for reclamation of their uh, land. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Haki, I thought it was really interesting where Scott Richard made the point that this whole, this whole issue of um, from the beginning of the creation of the so called illegitimate state, Zionist state, United State of Israel, were based upon depopulate the Palestinian nation. Your response to that narrative, Brother Aki? Yeah, that's, that's, that's correct. I mean, that's correct. That's, that's the part of the history no one wants to acknowledge. You know, one thing when, when Israeli leadership says that, you know, Israel is a Jewish state, they're precisely advocating genocide against the Palestinian people. And what, in other words, they're saying that, you know, this, this place, this landmass is only for, quote, unquote, Jewish people. Uh, so clearly, the the, the 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 inference that one could draw from that is that the, not only the Palestinians are not welcome, but they can do anything and everything in terms of getting rid of the Palestinian population, you know, in in Palestine. And but equally important, Mother Africa, I think also when you think back to the time of, of Donald Trump, uh, when they had the Abrams Accord, and the Abrams Accord was supposedly to normalize relationship uh, between uh, Israel and uh, Arab states. Uh, with the implication being that, in fact, in order for that relationship to take place, for those relationships to take place, 
Israel will recognize the Palestinians' right to exist, and then it will begin to put into motion a two-state solution. Well, that, well, that didn't happen. There was no push for a two-state solution. In fact, Israel leadership doubled down on terms of this whole notion Israel as a Jewish state and proceeded to, to, to engage in more land grabs in the West Bank and the Gaza, in the Gaza Strip. Also, clearly, Brother Africa, you're absolutely correct. Uh, one of the things that uh, you know we have to understand clearly when we talk about in terms of the problem that's facing uh, the, the, Palestinian, the Palestinian state, uh, we have to recognize that these Zionists who run Israel never had any intent on whatsoever in terms of uh, being just and fair about in terms of an equal distribution, you know, uh, of the land mass in terms of divided between you know, both Israelis and uh, Palestinians. Uh, these people have always been that it's only for Jewish people and they're committed to carrying out uh, their vision of the Jewish state. And that we should all be concerned about. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Moses, talk to me. They tell me that whenever there is resistance, whenever there is oppression, there will be resistance. We see this act on October 7th as a form of resistance. Do you think it's a fair characterization where most people would agree to living in Gaza as being an open-air um, concentration camp? Your response, Brother Moses. Certainly, certainly, certainly. Gaza is an open-air concentration camp. It's an open-air prison. Um, the Israeli state controls the electricity, the utilities, the water supply, and uh, is punishing these people. And uh, mass, mass incarceration taken to its extreme level. Um, we have to continue to point out the contradictions, and uh, but it's going to take armed struggle. Armed struggle. The the people are going to have to get rid of that Zionist government, and it's it's going to take armed struggle. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. You know, Brother Anthony, one of the things that came out from that documentary was the question of are the so-called Israeli citizens being used as fighter cannon? That is to say, um, Mr. Rittner said that most of these 300,000 citizens, they are recalling to come and fight. They have not been prepared nor been trained to take on the urban warfare and it will be a great bloodbath. If that is true, what does that say about a government that will sacrifice their people like that, Brother Brother Anthony? Uh the uh the the uh the the Zionists are using them as pawns. And uh you know and uh you know and, and the thing and uh you know without uh uh, you know, they're calling out reservists, and uh, these reservists, as uh, Ritter indicated, have not been adequately adequately trained, uh, you know, to face the situation they're going into. And uh, let's see, and he points out that one of the toughest environments to fight in 
is uh, is an urban environment, especially when the when 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 uh, when all the structures have been destroyed, and um, you know, and uh, let's see, and um, you know, and and I I think it's accurate to say that they that they're being used as can, uh, cannon fodder. Uh, to further uh, 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 the, uh, the Zionist interests in uh, in Palestine. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And Brother Haki, can you elaborate on the importance of this concept we know as divide and conquer? In that documentary, you talk about how has, uh, how Hamas might have been manipulated to um, to um, come into existence to play the role of dividing the leadership of the Palestinian people because they see a strong, unified, you know, Palestinian, um, a strong, unified Palestinian people in terms of leadership. They don't want to want that to happen, so therefore they may have um, positioned the situation where, you know, a must might have came into existence to play that role. Isn't that very common in terms of what Zionists do throughout the world? When you look at the history of the struggle of African people, they found a way to constantly divide their leadership so we can have the one unified, strong leadership. Your response to this question of divide and conquer, Brother Aki? Yeah, well, it's, it's a strategy used by, uh, you know, by. Um, uh, by Western states, and it's been thus effective thus far in terms of throughout history, in terms of being a divided people. Now, in the case of Hamas, uh, one of the things Israel did was to finance Hamas, and in financing Hamas, they gave them recognition. In other words, uh, the whole intent was to to uh, create division between Hamas and the Palestine Liberation Organization, in particular, the Fatah Organization, which is the military wing of the Palestine Liberation Organization. So in doing that, what they did effectively say was there's, there's a lesser two evils. And uh, Hamas at that time was being painted as the lesser two evils between them and the Palestine Liberation Organization. Now, uh, interestingly enough, though, one, one of the things that when we, when we think about that is that, you know, uh, at some point uh, Hamas ceased to become a simply a, a, a organization, in, you know, uh, enjoying the financial contributions from the Zionist state. Uh, but they eventually financed to the, to the tune of, of so much money that made it possible for Hamas to become a political organization. And that was a very, very strategically savvy because one of the things that when we talk about having Hamas in political positions, not only could you use Hamas to divide the movement, you know, in terms of uh, 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 the Palestinian Liberation Organization, but also in the advent that Hamas doesn't play its role in terms of being a divider or a spoiler, uh, they could simply paint Hamas as a terrorist organization. So for the Zionists, it was a win-win situation. And clearly, this dividing divide rule strategy was, in fact, very, very, uh, very, 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 very effective. In uh, closing, Brother Africa, I simply also would add that, you know, uh, one of the things that when you talk about, you know, um, you know, aiding, you know, the Hamas as a political organization, uh, to, to a large extent, you know, um, this, this attempt in terms of, uh, painting them, you know, as uh, somehow uh, politically uh, unsavvy uh, didn't, 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 didn't jail. Uh, 
Many, many people in Palestine come to understand that Hamas represents their collective interest. And as such, uh, by designers' attempt to paint Hamas as somehow being unsavvy or politically you know, non-astute, uh, they fail in that endeavor. In, in other words, they create a scenario in which uh, Hamas is more uh, deeply respected by the people uh, <coughs> as legitimate leaders uh, uh, as opposed to being perceived as somehow lacking in terms of political expertise. And so in that regard, in terms of the whole divide and conquer strategy of the Zionists, it was a foolhardy strategy in this case because it didn't work. Uh, the Palestinian people uh, understand Hamas' contributions to the struggle, you know, for 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 you know for the autonomy of, of the of, of the uh, Palestinian people, and it supports the struggles of the Hamas uh, group. So clearly, uh, you know, uh, even though Israel attempted it, uh, it wasn't very successful in the long run. Thank you, Brother Haki. Sister Eleanor. Should all people have a right to choose their leadership? And in terms of the genocide that is going on in Palestine, also do we also should we also look at the U.S. Because Israel will never do this without the approval and the support of the U.S. government. Your response, Sister Eleanor. I didn't hear you. Um, brother, your response, your response, Sister Eleanor, to the issue of the U.S. also have their hands in this genocide that is taking place in Palestine, because without the U.S. approval and their collaboration with the Zionist State of Israel, this would never occur. Your response. I'm correct, brother, brother Africa. It would have never occurred. Uh, without U.S. NATO participation, uh, this uh, the annexation of Palestine and the agreements made with South Africa and the Israelis are way back, uh, and uh, the conferences that began to be held as. Uh, in 1957 and uh, in Nairobi, South Africa and other African nations demonstrate the uh, uh, impact that these wars, uh, the U.S. and its war machine has had globally until this horrible Zionist uh, genocide against the Palestinian people. The worst crime we had seen was the 2011 uh, UN Resolution 1973 that allowed the attack of Libya, starting with the no-fly zone and you know the destruction of, uh, of, of property, but more importantly, thousands of lives. And ever since the end of World War II, the U.S., NATO, and its imperialists have been engaged in uh, colonialistic warfare in North, in uh, not only in North Africa, but Central and South Africa, as well as Western Asia, Central Asia. And this includes Vietnam and its uh, uh, support of the 
genocide of the people of Yemen by Saudi Arabia. One, the imperialist, U.S. imperialist economy is a, a military economy, and it provides weaponry and training and has uh, uh, made what we see happening in, in Palestine possible. It's confused people uh, thinking that this is a religious phenomena that uh, somehow uh, Israel uh, or, 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 or Zionism is a religion. Judaism is a religion. Zionism is a form of racism. It's an apartheid racism. It's against annihilated the Palestinian people. In one month, they claim to have killed 14,000. How many, really, we do not know. And yes, they're using their own people as a as a target to support this genocide. Um, the uh, international, uh, the European and the NATO and these uh, international treaties and agreements or or, or uh, support these. Uh, uh, Insurgents and the participation participation in these common plans or or or, or conspiracies for the accomplishment of any of the uh, uh, foregone you know U.S. post World War II wars. I mean. It's just, it's unbelievable that uh, uh, that these proxy premeditated aggressive wars worldwide continue to happen. And yes, the U.S. is directly involved. And uh, you hear President Biden supporting the Israelis' genocide against the Palestinian people. Uh, when they have no electricity, no water, bombing of hospitals, everything that's against international law is ignored by the U.S. and its lackey allies. Uh, And uh, there seems to be no one uh, speaking out, but now the people are speaking out globally. And there are other ways to communicate than just the media. And nowhere has a greater control over the minds of the people than the U.S. through its media. But the world is changing, and this genocide uh, has to stop. And that means don't buy anything from Amazon because of their engagement and involvement with the Israeli government and military at this time. Do not, do not take for granted the impact that we as individuals can have on stopping aggression by simply acting 
accordingly as people. And remember that uh, Nguma did call for uh, 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 one African army, global African army. And he said this was the way we would uh, make sure that there would be no Zionist occupation. We would not have to worry about uh, the apartheid of Israel, Israeli Zionists, and South African Zionists. And uh, just as Angola fell, so will the Zionist government fall and the Palestinian people will be free. And the U.S. is playing, as you said, a tremendous role in this genocide. It's it's, it's shameful and horrific. We're going to stop you right there, my sister. That's what you, Brother Moses. You've been waiting patiently. Brother Moses, talk to us. If you read the Zionist press, they are saying the African people in this country is anti-Semitic, anti-Israel. What will be your response to those allegations? I think you know, the people of the people the the people that make up the the political economy known as Israel, you know, have a. Uh, ideological bond, a cultural bond, uh, and, and uh, you know, but they are not a nation. And, uh, you know, the anti-Semitism anis, anis, and stuff uh, stems from the denial of them and their rights as a nation because they are not a nation. And so, you know, um, we have to, the power to define the power to rule, and the question becomes, is Netanyahu going to rule the world, or is there going to be some other just, just ideological leadership? And, uh, you know, but anyway, you know, the thief always hollers, stop thief, and, you know, the who are the real criminals? I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Moses and panelists, our last question before we take a break and come going to our final thoughts for the night. Panelists, just in general, those who are participating and giving um, assistance to this genocide that is taking place in Palestine, particularly those who hold responsible positions or leadership, political figures, males, particularly in the African community, the African leadership, should it be charged with crime against humanity? Brother Anthony. They should. Uh, they should be. And because uh, genocide is a crime against humanity, and uh, those who uh, and and those who support uh, the, uh, the the Israeli uh, policy. Uh, against the Palestinians are 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 are, 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 are
are guilty of supporting genocide against the Palestinian people. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Haki, your perspective, these African politicians, males, and people in positions of influence and authority, you're talking about giving Israel $14 billion more billion to bomb, 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 and bomb the Palestinian people. Should they also be held reliable for crimes against humanity? Brother Haki, your perspective. Uh, yeah, no, no question about it, brother. Brother Africa, you know anybody who contributes to the needless slaughter of the Palestinian people are committing a crime against humanity. Uh, one of the things recently, brother Africa, they, there was a news article according to the to the video that we viewed, and they talked about the fact that the, the, the Zionist plan uh, in terms of post-war includes no Gaza. In other words, they're talking about the total deni- uh, annihilation of destruction. Or 1.4 million people living in the Gaza Strip, and clearly, when you talk about this kind of wholesale destruction, 1.1 million people, then you talk about a crime against humanity, and that's 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 indisputable. Also, when you talk about the whole question in terms of collective punishment, uh, you keep in mind when we look at the designers dropping, you know, tons of bombs, you know, uh, missiles, you know, on, on innocent people under the guise that they're fighting Hamas. Uh, that is, in, 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 a, in a nutshell, overkill. In fact, uh, uh, you know, that constitutes a war crime because you can't collectively punish all people uh, simply because, you know, you have a problem in terms of a particular movement that's taking place inside of, inside of that country. Uh, so clearly that is a crime against humanity. Uh, and also when you talk about the mass casualties, and, and Sister Eleanor talked about the fact that we're talking about in excess of 11,000 people and counting, men, women, and children, uh, when we talk about that kind of onslaught, then clearly, you know, uh, the question in terms of, uh, in terms of, um, you know, um, uh, uh, crimes against humanity, it's inescapable. But I think in saying that, Brother Africa, and I'm going to say this finally, and I'm going to wrap up, I think one of the things is that when we talk about the International Criminal Court, and we, we you know, certainly we need the, 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 uh, the, 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 we, we need the, uh, the, the power of the International Criminal Court to make the case in terms of crimes against humanity. But one of the problems, certainly, is the U.S. is not a signatory of the International Criminal Court. And even if it was a signatory of the International Criminal Court, it's not going to allow the International Criminal Court to charge it with, with uh, crimes against humanity. It's simply not going to allow that to happen. Uh, but clearly, in terms of the, 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 the moral uh, consciousness of the world, uh, we understand clearly that what is transpiring in Palestine is, 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 is a crime against humanity. And, uh, and as such, uh, we understand that all those who participate in this crime against humanity by providing the the the, the armory, uh, the armament, uh, or the the, the the weaponry to carry out this onslaught is in effect guilty of crimes against humanity. Close with that. Thank you, brother Aki. Brother Moses, talk to us. Should it be charged a crime against humanity? All those who participate in this process of genocizing genocide, the country and people today? Certainly at some point, um, there's going to have to be a counting of uh, behavior. And um, certainly crimes against humanity are, are within the realm of activities that have been done. And um, certainly, you know, somebody has to be held accountable for these this genocide, I mean, this, 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 this occupation was set up to wipe out the Palestinian people from their land 
and to introduce the designers to the land. And so, you know, it's it's been nothing but genocide from the beginning, the Nakba. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. And we go for you to hear Sister Eleanor position. Sister Eleanor should have been charged with crime against humanity. Absolutely. As all the panelists have said, these are crimes against humanity. And as Brother Haki said, the U.S. is not a signatory of the International Court. And uh, it's also exempt in the U.N. from certain uh, actions. But it does not make these things any less, this action, any less a crime. Now, Brother Haki said 11 million. I, 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 I don't know why I thought I heard it was nearly 14 million, but I don't care if it's 1 million people. But we know it's uh, 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 11 million, according to the Zionists. Think of the atrocity. This is an urban war where you're taking the elderly children and women and they are the largest number of the dead. To see infants have the electricity cut off so they die in their incubators from hypothermia or suffocation. These are outrageous atrocities never seen in, in, in human. We've never seen this. And um, we know the atrocities of World War II, of the mid-Atlantic slave trade, of the genocide of the Americas. They do not, and and Israel is the last colonial settler state to be established by Europeans. And it really has no right to existence. A military settler state is not an action of liberation. It's an action of annihilation. And as one of the panelists said, the intention is not to have any Gaza. If there's no Gaza, where do the millions of people go that live in Gaza? And with Egypt not opening its borders and people haven't been told to go south and now there is a, a Israeli occupation straight through the middle of Gaza separating people on both sides. This is an a atrocity beyond imagination where people lack water. They're dying of thirst and hunger not including the weaponry. And we're seeing blocks and blocks of cities just annihilated by this advanced weaponry. No one has the kind of weaponry uh, these uh, alleged uh, terrorists uh, that are amongst the uh, Palestinians don't have the weaponry that the Zionist terrorists have, they're not annihilating um, multi-story buildings. 
hospitals, the Zionists are, and this is a true crime. And the Palestinians are a people. We should keep in our forefront of our minds that we're talking about the Palestinian people. They aren't Arabs. They're not a member of Saudi Arabia. They're not they're not Yemenis, they're Palestinians and Israel. The Zionists have occupied Palestine. And the issue is genocide. That's what we're watching. A genocide. Every day we see genocide of the Palestinian people in newspapers, magazines, on your computer, on the television, just everywhere. And they're trying to neutralize us and they're accepting this as true through the television, as you said, Brother Africa, by making urban warfare acceptable. And we saw it here in this United States, in Cop City, in Georgia. We're arresting Americans as terrorists for protesting against Cop City. And Cop City is training U.S. police and military actions in an urban environment. This is just a horrible genocide, and I I promise we can stop right here. We gotta take a quick station break when we come back. We will close out this program. We'd like to have everyone give their perspective on what kind of tangible actions we can do to help show our support in the solidarity with our brothers and sisters, our Palestinian brothers and sisters. I want y'all to think about that and when we come back. We have y'all give maybe the people some ideas and your final thoughts. You're listening to Africa on the Move. I'll be host of Africa. Um, this program can be listened to on Sundays from 7 to 10 p.m. Uh, you can do it by just calling in on your phone at 323-679-0841 or you can go online on blogtalkradio.com slash Africa on the move. And spread word. Share with your friends and network. This program wants to speak not only truth to power, but also become a platform where your voice can be heard. So support us. And remember, every Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. So right now we're going to take a revolutionary break. And when we come back, we want to get a perspective from our political panel analysts and those who may be on our board on some concrete things we can do to uh, help make this situation a lot more um, just and favorable for our brothers and sisters in Palestine. This is Africa on the Moon. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. 
They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. Needs Chains, living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know. I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through 
my journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Pellerino. A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. It's an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yes. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Okay. One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, Let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. 
not just Muslims that that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Lumumba was democracy. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that's mm-hmm. his music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure. Glenn Beck is a racist. Gaza Strip was getting Obama. Obama didn't say shit. After you divorce yourself from the right wing propaganda campaign, it's all simple and plain. America could stand the game. Your president got an African name. Now who you gon' blame? When they dropped the bomb out of them planes, using depleted uranium, babies looking like two-headed aliens. Follow the money trail that leads to the criminal, and nothing subliminal to it. That's how they do it. See the game they run. Give a fuck if he's cunning, articulate, and handsome. Afghanistan held for ransom by the hand of this black man Neo-colonial puppet, white power with a black face He said, fuck it, I'll do it A master of the sky, expert at telling lies Then they gave him a Nobel Peace Prize Should've known he was trained in Chicago Where the chairman Fred and Mark talk What they do in the dark will come out in the light Like a WikiLeaks site So I guess the crew was right Who's ready to fight? Last things of imperialism I ain't kidding In the immortal words of Marvin Gaye This ain't living President just bombed an African country like Jonas Brothers are here. 
They're out there somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans. But uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you. Predator drones. <laughs> you will never see it coming. You think I'm joking? We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. We're closing out part two, Africa is fighting, capitalism, NATO, and Zionism. We're back with our political panelists and analysts. They will be giving us some thoughts on maybe how we can have more concrete action to show our support for the Palestinian people. And at the same time, our final thoughts on today's program. Now, one of the things we can see what's happening now Many governments, uh, uh, at least um, through blockades, and we're drawing now resources from Shanwit, Zionist State of Israel. For example, Turkey just recently decided not to, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> not to ship no more oil at the present time to Israel. <coughs> Sorry, coming to my throat. Also, we're looking at, I think, Colombia, South Africa, cut our different relationships and told them we'd draw out ambassadorship down. And so we see more things become more concrete and show that support. Thomas, do y'all have an idea of what are some of the things we can do to show our support for the Palestinians and your final thoughts? Why would you, Brother Moses? I think, you know, the BDS movement is appropriate, boycott, divest, sanction. Um, there's a number of, of uh, on the YouTube, there's the 11 biggest corporations in, in supporting Zionism. Um, among them is the military industrial complex, of course, the Grumman and Lockheed Martin, all of those, and then there's McDonald's, and then there's Pepsi and Coke, and so there's a lot of corporations that are involved in Europe, and we need to boycott the best and sanction them. Uh, we need to support the Jerusalem Fund, and uh, and and uh, any organization, the Alliance for Global Justice has a, I think the 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 Palestinian Red Cross version. You can support them through them. Um, and uh, basically, educate people on the situation. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Moses, we're going to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, the mic is yours. Are you there, Sister Eleanor? Okay, at this point in time, what we're going to do is we're going to go to Brother. Hello. Brother. Yes, is Eleanor. Yes, I concur, with, I concur with Brother Moses, but I also have to remind folks that when we boycott Amazon, we are also boycotting Israel. So we have to uh, keep this in mind, and uh, and and as Brother Moses said, we have to educate people on the issue, 
and ourselves to make sure that in no way we simply uh, uh, this apartheid movement. Uh, there should be a boycott on tourism, uh, these religious travels, and there should be a deep investigation into these churches that are being uh, supported uh, by Israel throughout uh, the United States and uh, Central America. And uh, people should uh, step away from these mega churches and their uh, economic uh, uh, Christianity. And uh, that's it. And thank you so much for allowing me to participate this evening. Thank you, Brother Africa. Thank you, Thank you, Brother Anthony, the mic is yours. Yes. Uh, let's see. Uh, we uh, let's see. In terms of uh, some some concrete actions uh, people can take, uh, they could uh, 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 those those of you who have disposable income can uh, support. Uh, Support uh, Palestinians in, the, in, in, in their struggle against Zionism, or and uh, also uh, join uh, join demonstrations, educating people about the the Palestinian struggle against Zionism. And also join an organization that is working for uh, for our people's liberation, such as the All African People's Revolutionary Party GC, uh, which uh, you can find out more uh, about uh, us through our website, www dot a dash a p r p dash g c dot org and uh you can learn more about our objective pan africanism and our history and our struggle and also join uh join an uh, an organization that's working for our people's liberation and also join, uh, participate in demonstrations that educate people about the Palestinian struggle against Zionism. Thank you, Anthony. From Anthony, we're now we're going to Brother Haki. Brother Haki, the mic is yours. Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, I'm not going to reiterate essentially what the previous uh, panelists uh, divulged, uh, except to say I'm in agreement with all of those points that they made. Uh, I would simply, you know, encourage people, you know, you know, as, as an oppressed nationality, you know, here in North America, one of the things I think we, we have to acquire, if we don't already have it, is a, a certain kind of empathy for other oppressed groups around the world. I think one of the things, when you think about oppression and you think about the kind of humiliation, the kind of degradation that they have to endure in terms of just to exist. Uh, 
it should give us uh, it, it should give us pause in terms of understanding that when we contrast the situation that we're confronted with in America versus the situation Palestinians are confronted with in Palestine, then it seems to me that in understanding that, then we should understand we should have a moral, if not political, obligation uh, to fight all systems of oppression uh, wherever they may be, and, and clearly. You know, until we develop that frame of that, that, that frame of reference, where you know, uh, you know, all liberation struggles are of immense importance. Until we fundamentally understand that that relevance, uh, I think that we the tendency is to simply, you know, go along to get along. I think in the context of oppression, when you as, as oppression continues, as it becomes stronger and stronger, any notions in terms of getting along with it, it becomes really ironic. Uh, because the bottom line is that as oppression becomes stronger, there's no way you can coexist as oppression becomes stronger. Ultimately, oppression leads to all kind of um, uh, devastation. Uh, in the context of America, when we look at terms of overall decline of the U.S. economy, and we, we think of ourselves, well, if the United States economy is declining, and if all the wealth is going to 1% of the population, uh, then what is, the, what, is the, what is the potential uh, or what is the impact on working people in the society? Uh, if you conclude that, it's, that the potential for unworking people is not a good one, then you have an obligation to not to struggle against those systems of oppression that hold you back. Uh, it doesn't mean that in struggling against the systems of oppression that hold you back that you shouldn't be afraid. Of course you should be afraid. I mean, come on. Let's be very, very clear. We're talking about, we talk about a system that's totally indifferent to humanity. It has no respect for humanity. And they do it in and everything in terms of maintaining its longevity. In that context, you have a right to be afraid. But having said that, understand that, you know, uh, not taking a stand in terms of confronting these systems is not going to benefit you in the long run either. Either way, no matter how you look at it, the bottom line is that there has to be some sacrifices that is going to be made one way or the other. It doesn't matter whether you abstain from political activity or you participate in political activity. The bottom line is that there will be repercussions because you understand change is never easy. Those people who benefit from that horrid, this very abhorrent and very horrible system, uh, are not going to not going to give it up easily. So, so keep that in mind in terms of the struggle that must be waged in terms of bringing about a just and harmonious uh, world. And having said that, brother Africa, as always, I encourage people to unravel the matrix uh, that is key in terms of longevity in the society. If we don't innovate institutions to precisely look at the situation as it, it prevails, prevails itself in the society. Then we we can, we can, we we only can anticipate that by not understanding the nature of the beast uh, that we're going to suffer greatly for that. Having said that, brother Africa, you have a good night. You do the same, brother Haki and my panelist analysts. Y'all all have a great night. To our listening audience and our supporters, we thank you again, like always, for allowing us from your home this evening, where we can speak truth to the power for the powerless. We'd like to remind you that you can join us every Sunday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And remind your friends and your network that Africa on the Moon is a platform where you will be given a voice. Join us. We will now be closing out today's program, which is part two, Africa is fighting capitalism, NATO, and Zionism. On the 26th of November, 2023, and remind everybody that without information, you cannot think. And without organization, you cannot think clearly. Join an organization that is fighting for the liberation of your people and humanity. If you can't find one, we have the responsibility to create one. 
Until next time, next week, you've been listening to Brother Africa. This is Africa on the Move. And let's get on down so we can get on up. We're looking forward to having a meaningful dialogue with you next Sunday. We thank you again for your support. So we'll close you out with the music or inspiration. This has been Africa on the Move.
Shall be hanged with many stripes. 